All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek along with Rich on take two of this week's Sixers Beat. Still a part of the CLNS Media Network, just like it was the last time we recorded a podcast about an hour ago. <laughs> How you Expl- doing, Rich? Explain to them why we uh, we have to do this again, Derek. We did a pretty you good mean, one, I thought, last time. but Because I'm an idiot, and we started recording a podcast just before the 5.30 p.m. injury report. Uh, and we even mentioned at the end of it that the injury report was coming up in about three minutes. And when the injury report came out, it pretty much invalidated everything we had talked about because Joel Embiid is now listed as doubtful <laughs> for game one Ugh. of the Sixers versus Nets opening round series. And I started the last, the, the now hit lost episode of the Sixers beat, not the first lost, lost episode by the way, with a quote from Game of Thrones. And unfortunately, now it seems like we're moving on to the, if you think this have an ap- this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, because that seems like a much more fitting Game of Thrones quote than the one that we used earlier. I, I don't have the creative ones th- that you do, but w- winter is coming. Yes. Uh, that, 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 that's what I would say. Um, we actually got a lot of feedback on our last one that it was too negative of a podcast i i don't agree with it i think the team was playing bad right i, I we don't, can only I don't cover know the team that that, that, is, uh, that we can only talk about the team that we're covering unfortunately but with this news i'm i'm not sure how this one can be sunshine and rainbows because joel Embiid has been listed as doubtful and whew, man it's it's pretty uh, it, it's Pretty stunning that an injury report can really just change the mood of things, but that's that's about the most impactful 530 injury report we've gotten in a while. Well, an injury report, just go back to Elton Brand's comments the other day, where, you know, he kind of left open, he said, I mean, his comments at this, like at this point now sound optimistic, but he was saying that, you know, he expects him to play, but there's a possibility he won't. And at that point, I was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? possibility like at this point that three game road trip that Embiid missed was stated as load management I think they even said at the time that he wasn't feeling any pain after the Chicago game where Embiid played you know he played in Milwaukee he played or against Milwaukee he played in Chicago Brett Brown said that rest isn't always the answer rest isn't what his body needs right now then he came out and he rested the final two games and you thought well that's weird you know Brett clearly wanted him back on the court he wanted him to get into some kind of a, a playoff rhythm. He wanted him to improve what he called a C plus conditioning level. And then he, you know, that, that plan was changed. So why did, was that plan changed? So when Elton brand then came out and said, well, it's possible he doesn't play that sort of sent off a whole lot of spider signals. And I still up until five thirty thought he would play, you know, and that's not to say, you know, I think a lot of people have been wondering whether it's, this is gamesmanship. I don't think this is gamesmanship in part because I think gamesmanship is freaking pointless. Like there's even now, even after listing him as doubtful, they're still going to prepare as though Joel Embiid is going to play. And if they get the benefit of him not playing, then great. That's a, you know, a a great prepare for the worst hope for the best. So I don't think it's going to change much from the Nets perspective. So why would the Sixers put their fans through this? If there's really nothing to be gained and just looking at his body language and you hate being a, a hashtag body language guy. You know, but he looked a little bit down. He didn't look like somebody who was playing a game today in front of the media. And that doesn't mean he won't, like, 
try to fight through it and play and, and manage the pain in game to whatever degree he can. He still might, who knows? Uh, he's re- Embiid's really the only one who can speak the level of pain he's going through with that knee. But you could tell that it was serious. But even still, it's just, I, in, until it got to this point, I wouldn't, I didn't believe that he would miss the time. I just, I, I thought he would get out there. And I don't, I, I hesitate saying that because I don't want this to be read at Embiid's not tough enough, or he just has to, you know, quote unquote man up a phrase that I hate, but I'm going to use it because I'm I'm sort of playing off of maybe the worst instincts of people on Twitter. You know, I thought I thought it would take a lot to keep Embiid out of a playoff game. I still think it's going to take a lot to keep Embiid out of a playoff game, which makes you wonder just how bad that pain really is and how bad that has gotten. He has admitted to the fact that the pain has gotten worse here in the last couple of days. He said that he started feeling it at around the All-Star break is, I think, what he said today, which makes sense. They did tell you he had pain back then when he missed those initial eight games. But we have not heard, you know, ever since he came back from those eight games up until Elton Brand dropped sort of that bomb the other day, it's always been managing his load, you know, delivering him to the playoffs is a phrase that Brett Brown likes to use. And he doesn't seem like he's delivered. Yeah, it seems to me, just just thinking back to all of the comments and explanations about Embiid's status through the past, say, month and a half, seems like Brett is not necessarily on the same page with his messaging as Elton was the other night. I mean, the other night, Brett was asked, do you think everybody is going to be available? And he said, I think I'm going to get all my starters. And Elton was the person who said, yeah, it's it's possible he might not play. And you go back, you, you've been on top of this the uh, from the Chicago game, like you mentioned, thought he needed to play more in the past week to kind of get that fitness base to the level you would hope it would be for the playoffs. And not only did he not play in the process of not playing, the pain has gotten worse in the past couple of weeks. And it's just, I mean, it's just a bummer, man. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of blame being passed on Twitter. I, I don't really feel like this podcast is the right time for it. He should not have played 39 of 41 games Yep. And 33 minutes per game like that is that is obvious even before he got hurt. Oh, no, uh, you can go. This is not second guessing. You can go back. We certainly said that as it was going. He yeah. was we were three or four weeks into the season. He was leading the NBA in minutes played because the Sixers had a really dense schedule. He wasn't resting any days. He was playing back to backs and he was playing, you know, 34, 35, 36 minutes a night. Again, weeks into the schedule. And they needed and him it, too. But it, to it, it, it also games. didn't take like like a medical expert to say, Hmm, you know, this guy who's had knee surgery has had foot surgery twice, you know, had, had, had back problems. Maybe, maybe leading the NBA as minutes is a little bit of a risky move here. Um, at yeah. some point, you know, there's blame everywhere to go around for this. You know, you look at what the, the Raptors have done with Kawhi Leonard and how rigid they have been in terms of keeping him out of games and managing his minutes and preventing back to backs and getting him rest when they could. And the Sixers, by and large, ignored that. I think everybody sort of just wanted Joel to be a quote-unquote normal NBA player. Certainly, I think Joel wanted to be a quote-unquote normal NBA player who didn't have to be babied through back-to-backs. And, you know, I think I think Embiid pushed through games he shouldn't have pushed through. I think the Sixers didn't weren't forceful enough in making him sit. 
you know, I don't think the players are the best judge. They're, they're, they're the only judge of how they feel, but they're not the best judge of what kind of workload is risky. Um, a player is geared towards always playing. That's why they're that. That's what makes great players great. But you've got to be able to say, look, Joel, I know you want to play, but this isn't best for your long term future. And it just doesn't seem like there is anybody in the organization who is capable of making that argument, whether or not they were unwilling to or just not capable of convincing him of that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But I, and I think the the bottom line here is that. It's, this is a failure. I mean, you need to get this guy healthy for this time of the year. And I, Brett I don't has know. Been saying it, for weeks, pretty much since they came back from the all-star break, their number one goal is delivering the team healthy to the playoffs. Yeah. So this is, this is a failure. Um, you, you laid out all the, all the places for blame. I guess, I guess my next question is, so do you think this is a thing that they're just going to try and, win the first two games in Philly and then bring them back because I it's like you said I is the first half of the year was managed poorly but he has rested a crap ton recently yeah, I man I don't know why you would believe that if he takes you know th- four days off here that he's it's going to be a completely different situation and, I mean it's hard to say because we're at such an information deficit like like maybe you know he said it got worse in the next couple of days maybe I I don't know. Maybe there is a specific event which caused it to get worse, and we're really dealing with something that's maybe a little more short term than than we're thinking it is. But look, this is somebody whose knee started acting up in mid February, and here we are, you know, two solid months later, and it's still acting up. Like, why would I played, believe that in four or five days it's going to be different? He's played ten games in that time too. Like he's he's gotten a ton of rest. Not only uh, has he played ten games. He's going to get a week off before this game and he's yeah. He's doubtful and that's Not- just that's that's obviously very concerning just in the short term from from what you can get from him. I it it seems far-fetched to think, you know, he'll he'll be able to get back to to full health here because I I'm going to be honest. I was like you. I thought he was definitely dealing with Something that was bothering him, perhaps more than, or definitely more than they had led on publicly in the past. Although he he had been a little bit cagey with some of the things he he had said in, in updating his health, but but it just felt to me like as soon as the playoffs started, it it was going to be a pain tolerance thing, and he's so competitive that he just wants to play. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a right. bummer, man. And I I, I want to be clear on that. My takeaway from this isn't that Joel Embiid can't handle the pain tolerance, like that he should be playing through it, um, that he should quote unquote deal with the pain. It's that the pain is much more than we believed it was. Yeah, for him to be, you know, like Elton said, we expect him to play, or we 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 think he's gonna play, but there's a chance he won't. For for Brett Brown to say that they ex- he he expects to have all of his starters like. Clearly, pain was at a higher level, and he's dealing with more than we knew about, you know, even 24 hours ago. And that that's my takeaway, not that Joel Embiid should be dealing with the pain better. Um, it's This is... Uh, all right, so... And, and going back to your point, like, about the, you know, extra five days or so making any real difference. Like, if they told me, like, if somebody came up to me and told me, either on or off the record... Hey, the plan is for him to miss these two games, but then we think he's going to be good to go. I'd, I'd be like, 
I don't believe you. Not that I don't believe you that the, that's the plan, but like, why would I believe that all of a sudden things are going to be materially different? And it would very much be a, you know, I'll believe it when I see it sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I feel like we just don't know what's going on and that makes it really, really difficult. And clearly we will see what information we can get. We're sort of recording this podcast uh, as quickly as I was able to get Rich back to his computer after him thinking he was done for the night. Uh, so we haven't really had a chance to uh, <laughs> to fully investigate what is going on. This is sort of a little bit of a reaction here. I haven't hit the alcohol yet, so I, I think this <laughs> I think this should be okay. So I, I guess the next question we've talked about, you know, what a bummer is this is. Me and you, uh, with the assumption that we thought Joe was going to play, and even if he was a little bit hampered, we thought he was going to be good to go and effective because even through these you know, last couple of months when maybe he hasn't been close to a hundred percent, he's still a monster and he's still killing people and he kills the Brooklyn Nets. We both pick Sixers and five. So with this news, again, it's uncertain. We don't know. Maybe he comes back game two. Maybe he comes back game four. Does he miss a game here and there? I don't know how they're going to go about this. Maybe don't pick exactly what, what the series ends up as, but I think it's safe to say that it's it's not Sixers and five anymore. No, if if Joel Embiid doesn't play, I'm not picking Sixers and five. Uh, that's part, and and people are going to be like, well, you have you know three All Stars and and JJ Redick, and that's, that's a great starting point. But you also have what maybe five legitimate players and no real option at center, no backup point guard, and. A, a, a tough matchup, especially with Embiid out. Like that pick and roll problem. As much as we talk about Embiid and how you can, you know, sort of somewhat neutralize him defensively by pulling him away from the basket, Boban's not any better defending that pick and roll. And I think that's who's going to get a, a good chunk of those minutes. So, you know, I think let's say Embiid comes back after two games and he looks like a reasonable version of what we expect Joel Embiid to be. I would still say Sixers and six. Like if the Sixers split at home, yeah. I think they're capable of splitting at home. And Joel Embiid comes back. I expect the Sixers to be able to win three of those next uh, five games. But quick, quick statistic: plus twenty-seven in one hundred thirty-four minutes against the Nets with Embiid on the floor. Yeah. Minus forty in fifty-eight minutes without him. Now some of those came with an earlier uh, iteration. Sixers one this year. They're now on three but you know that's obviously that's the story for Embiid really against everybody, but against the Nets too. He he destroys these guys. He puts yep. Jared Allen's ass in the rim. He yep. kills him. You can't uh, go small either against him. Uh, the Nets can't because they just they just cannot deal with him. And I mean, it, we it, mentioned this in the Lost podcast, but I mean, thirty points, fifteen rebounds, five to six, sixty percent shooting, eleven and a half free throws per game. That's what you all was doing against these guys. Uh, Ed Davis, Jared Allen, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, when they went small, they, no chance, no chance. They don't even have the shooting from the the backup bigs. I, I guess they could go with Jared Dudley at the five, but my God, would Embiid eat on offense with that uh, with that configuration? So they don't even have like the the token stretch five that might be able to give him trouble. Yeah, no, this this was a good matchup for Joe. Uh, maybe still is. Who knows? He, and who knows? Maybe he comes back and he plays. He was listed at, at, at doubtful many times in December and January. Doubtful at times 
at times because of the back, but also at times because of that knee and ended up playing anyway. And we sort of had a running joke that, you know, no matter what Joe was listed at, he was going to play. <laughs> and maybe that's still the case. I don't quite feel as confident going into these playoffs. Uh, but, you know, if he comes back, he can still certainly dominate this matchup. You know, you, you mentioned um, the plus minus with Joe and some of that stuff because, you know, you had two of those games were with, I think, Robert Covington and Dario Sarge. Uh, only two of those games were, or maybe only one of those games with 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 those two, but I think Jimmy Butler then missed another game. So Butler's only played against these guys twice. Uh, Tobias Harris only once. So it's been a lot of different teams. So maybe those those Embiid with or without numbers aren't the most applicable. But I think the other thing that you posted was even more interesting, which was the Sixers' four starters with Embiid on, or the Sixers' five starters, uh, the current starting lineup when everybody is healthy. Simmons, Redick, uh, Butler, Harris, and Embiid plus 17.6 net rating in 161 minutes. When you take those four remaining starters without Embiid, with anybody else in his place, they're only a plus four in 219 minutes, which is more minutes than they've played with Embiid. When you're talking about a 13 and a half point differential by one person, that's a massive impact. And I would I would argue that's an even more massive impact against this matchup because of how well Embiid matches up with them. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that doesn't have the top-end talent to match up with the Sixers. So, you know, when we say Sixers and five, the understanding is that the Sixers are going to eat when the starters are on the floor. They're going to destroy them. And depth, I've been seeing a lot of these tweets, too. Depth does not matter quite as much in the playoffs. I I think in the Sixers' case, we can start to say that, yeah, maybe when we're talking about the ninth and tenth man on a normal team, it doesn't matter as much in the playoffs. The Sixers are down to like five guys who I trust. And, and I mean, and some of those guys have like legit, like JJ Redick has a legitimate weakness. Ben Simmons, who I think is going to be massive in this series. He is a, I think this is a good matchup for him as well, just because he's bigger than all of the nets. He is just very much like Embiid. He has a chance to just out physical and just kind of out talent these guys in a way, um, you know, a, a lot is on them. The bench, when you're going, to, you're going down to like one guy on the bench that I maybe trust. And by the way, Bolden is questionable for tomorrow too. He would absolutely be in the rotation. He's like, you know, he's probably the fifth or sixth guy right now. So it's, I, I agree uh, that the Sixers can split. They, uh, those guys are going to need to, step their games up and to be fair with those with that uh plus four net rating some of those games they weren't trying now yeah. that now they have to try uh and <laughs> you know we joked about this on the loss some one, of those but, games were against worse teams in the net so too yeah absolutely uh so I, I think the first adjustment is trying that's important in the playoffs i think <laughs> we got to get that going um uh, yeah it's uh it, it how do you think this affects the defense? Because we kind of talked about both the Sixers and the Nets are teams. They probably do the best combination of taking away the three and not giving up the threes that that they're low percentage on the threes that they, they give up. I think they're, they're the only teams that are top five in both categories. The Sixers have been building all year around taking away the three. They've said even as their defense has slipped from third to 13th, 
uh, they have said, we like that we're taking away threes, though. That is a positive indicator come playoff time. This is where Embiid's injury also comes into play because I think in general, the theory is get up on those three-point shooters. You have, uh, as Brett Brown calls it, Batman waiting on the back line, ready to uh, to snuff out any any drives. Do you think that it becomes harder to take away the Nets threes now, now that you don't have a defensive player of the year candidate on the back line? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so first of all, going back one second to the bench, you know, you mentioned, yeah, Starters are going to play more minutes. Okay. Well, even if your four remaining starters play 38 minutes a night, and that would be like, you know, Harris and Simmons and Butler playing closer to 40 and JJ playing closer to 34. So maybe even get 39 minutes a night. You're still looking at 85 to 90 minutes. You've got to now fill from Boban and TJ and Mike Scott and the other half a guy that, that Brett Brown was talking about. Maybe Bolden, if he comes back, maybe Zaire, like, holy shit. It's like Zaire Smith just, he got like, he's, he's, he might get real minutes now, Rich, real minutes. You might have if to. If Joel Embiid doesn't yeah. go. Yeah, you um, might have to. This is. By the way, go check out Rich's uh, recount of what happened to Zaire Smith throughout the season with his, his food allergy and the feeding tubes and being in the hospital for, for what hospital six weeks, feeding tubes, two months. Um, theathletic.com slash Sixers. Good story. Not a whole lot of preparation for the playoffs. Yes. And and we don't have an ad read. So so that, that counts as our ad this week. Close enough. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, Brett said before uh, before the playoffs, eight and a half was the rotation. When, when you just have to slide nine and ten into the rotation and – the biggest jump sliding somebody in the center. I, I assume it's Boban. We kind of talked about this last series, our, our last podcast. I don't think it's the worst matchup in the world for Boban. It's not ideal. I, Boban in any matchup, unless he's playing another Boban, which doesn't exist, <laughs> is not ideal to me in the playoffs, him him guarding in space. But it was like I said, they the Nets don't have, in my opinion, the stretch options. I, I think Boban can do a decent job of soaking up at least a few minutes, but I mean, what, what do they do? Do you think a lot of Mike Scott at the five? I think there might be some Mike Scott at the five. I think there might be some Ben Simmons at the five. Uh, that would be a lot easier to do if James Ennis wasn't also out of the lineup. And again, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Joel plays and Ennis, but assuming he's out, you're you're also losing a Mike Scott who we're almost not talking about now, which feels a little more appropriate for talking about a Mike Scott injury, but He's really key for what the Sixers do. And if you had another wing in there, then you could more easily go, or I'm sorry, James Ennis. I think I said Mike Scott. But if you had James Ennis, you could more easily go Mike Scott at the five, or you could more easily go Ben Simmons at the five because you have other people to take those wing minutes. So it almost felt like the Sixers were going in the direction where they might play some maybe Bolden at the four or or somebody else at the four, another big at the four, slide Harris to the three and soak up some of those James Ennis minutes that way. Well, now you've lost two big men. Well, we don't know about Jonah Bolden. He's he's listed as questionable, I believe, with knee soreness as well. Uh, apparently, it's contagious. Uh, but he's listed as questionable. <laughs> Joel Embiid is listed as doubtful. And you still don't have James Ennis. So now I don't know what direction they're going to go to. And going back to your point, if you lose Joel Embiid and Jonah Bolden, well, they're your two best perimeter defensive bigs. They're your two best switch options. If you did want to switch a a a D'Angelo Russell pick and roll just to change things up, um, 
and they're your two best guys who can contest and recover. If you thought D'Angelo Russell had a lot of space coming off that pick and roll when Joel Embiid was going to be there, wait until you see, you know, Boban trying to defend that. Um, your transition defense is going to suffer, and that's going to be a key in this series. And and when the Nets have won and beaten the Sixers, transition defense has been a real big problem for the Sixers. You know, the, the, the Sixers had that one game, um, and, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, which I am for me, for myself, and for Rich, but not for you, the audience, because we we deleted that one podcast. But the Sixers had that one game earlier in the season with 28 turnovers where they were just throwing up all over themselves. And, and those turnovers came from, you know, everyone. They came from Robert Covington, who had five, and, and Mike Muscala, who had, had, I think, three. And then or I think Mike Muscala had five, and then J.J. Redick had three. So you're getting them from, like, up and down the roster, the entire, not only Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, but everyone. And after that, the Sixers did a pretty good job of t- managing their turnovers, both in the second half of the season, where after the All-Star break, they ranked 14th in the league. But also against the Nets, where they, I think, only had a, like a 12% turnover rate in the final three games. So taking care of the basketball is going to be huge because the Nets are really good at, at pushing the ball. They take a lot of pull-up threes. They're willing to, to pull up and launch from anywhere at any time in the shot clock. And the Sixers at times really struggle to get back in transition, to get the matchups that they want, to communicate the matchups that they want. Um, you know, they, and, and, and sometimes we'll talk about sort of two different metrics measuring Transition defense, well, there's one way to look at it, which is where the Sixers rank in relation to what they give up on the break compared to the rest of the league. Um, And in terms of that, in terms of efficiency, they're pretty good at defending the break. But if you look at the frequency, they're really poor. Like, I think they're like the fourth best team in terms of efficiency off of turnovers. And I think the second best team in efficiency off of live rebounds, or I might have that reversed, but they're, they're up towards the top. The problem is even the fourth best team in in defending off of a turnover still gives up like 126 points per 100 plays. Uh, Whereas in the half court, the Sixers go about 96 points per 100 plays. And I don't necessarily want to go through that entire difference between per 100 plays and per 100 possessions. But the real quick short of it is that possessions include an offensive rebound in the original possession Plays do not, so plays are naturally lower. The point is, the only real way to effectively defend in transition is to present, prevent a shot from going up, Yeah, and the Sixers don't do that well. And against this team, the Nets, who's really good at pushing the ball and can pull up from anywhere, taking care of the basketball is going to be a real big key. And that's especially true now, because as much as Joel Embiid could lumber sometimes in transition, who is a hell of a lot faster than Boban? And I mean, he's putting the ball in the basket. A lot and <laughs> and getting to the free throw line, allowing you to set your defense. And right. yep. yeah, I mean, what, what you're saying is that regardless of how good you are per play against transition opportunities, you just want to prevent them in general because they're right. efficient plays. Uh, yeah, it's th- that is going to be that's going to be tough. Uh, you know, we, we kind of I wrote about this in, in, on The Athletic today. I kind of talked about it with you a little bit earlier. Uh, the funny thing about this Sixers Nets series is that they're very different teams. The Nets run a lot of pick and rolls, like you said. They shoot a ton of pull up threes. Sixers don't do that. Nets mix in about ten percent of their possessions are zone. That's them and uh, Miami were the highest this year. Sixers don't do that at all. Uh, Sixers post up Joel Embiid and run dribble handoffs for Redick. The the Nets don't do that at all. Um, Top-heavy team, Sixers, Nets kind of win with depth. So th- th- there are a lot of, of major differences uh, between these two teams. 
I think the Embiid injury makes them a little more similar because to me, I, I think the, the first uh, first change here is we're going to see a lot more Jimmy Butler, who is, by the way, also coming off some back issues. Yeah, that's not great That now that I'm saying it. Uh, <laughs> they're going to need Jimmy, I think, to take an even bigger role in the offense. There's going to be a lot of pick and roll, I think, and it's the good news is I think it's a decent matchup. The Nets do not have any Kawhi Leonard esque perimeter stoppers that could give Jimmy some trouble. He he would seem to have, you know, a, a decent amount of matchups he can exploit, but they're going to need it from him now. And I think for a lot of the regular season, it seemed like he was pacing himself. He was pacing himself through games. His, uh, his usage skyrocketed in the fourth quarter. There were some games where, it was really frustrating. He wouldn't even take an open catch and shoot three, but then would turn it on and be very like, like legitimately brilliant in the fourth quarter. And I, I think like, like we've talked about a little bit, he has gotten better in the offense uh, recently. Well, guess what? He's going to have to be really good against these guys right now. And like you said, I, I think it's doable, but I think, you know, Simmons is going to have to wreak some havoc in transition. He's going to have to out-physical these guys, and, and Jimmy Butler is going to have a major role. And that's that's sort of my concern here, is that they're going to counteract, if Embiid doesn't play, they'll counteract that by playing Boban and Greg Monroe. Whereas I think what you have to do is is, is have a roster that can take advantage of Ben Simmons' talents and pushing the ball and spacing the floor and allowing him to post. And with those two on the court, I don't think you effectively do that. So this is a, a team, a backup big, who was sort of built to hold the fort for 10 minutes per night while Embiid wasn't there, and now they're going to be asked to play a completely different style if it turns out to be true, true that Embiid isn't going to be available. So it's a, uh, it's a not great position. Um, you know, I think Butler is going to be interesting because if he was at 100%, you would say, okay, you're now— because for as much as the Nets and the Sixers are completely different in what they do offensively, and they absolutely are, they share some similarities on the defensive side of the court. The Nets are probably worse than the Sixers in defending the pick and roll, which is somewhat hard to do, but they're among the worst teams in the league. You would think they would be good at it because they're so good at running it. Yeah, no, they're not. doesn't work that way. Um, no. And they also they do a pretty good job of running guys off the three-point line. They sort of have a similar philosophy where they'll drop the big back they will let you sort of get in that mid-range area, but they're not going to give you that open three-point look that comes by rotating a third person into that pick-and-roll action. So, theoretically, that's a mismatch that the that Jimmy Butler should be able to exploit. And you almost wonder if they had more wing depth, if James Ennis was available for the Sixers there, whether or not you would run a lot more Jimmy Butler at the point rather than TJ McConnell out there. Um, you know, I think this is a matchup you can get by doing that. And I, th- I think... And we, sick of saying this, but we mentioned that last podcast. We both agreed. We thought that's probably what Brett would have done, but now you just don't have the wing depth to really go that route, or at least it's a little more difficult to go that route. So you wonder exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to make this work. If it turns out that Embiid really can't go. Yeah. Anything else on the matchup? I, uh, God, Embiid just, it just changes so much. It changed everything. I, I really like, I was, I was confident Sixers in five. This was a Nets team that for as much as we talked about them being a bad matchup for the Sixers because they're pick and roll, Sixers were probably an even worse matchup for them because they had nobody to stop Embiid. Not Jared Allen, not Ed Davis, certainly not Rondé Hollis Jefferson. All I think, think the numbers for him are probably the best out of that group. 
you know, this was a team I thought, and the Nets have been struggling here over the last month, month and a half. Uh, tough I schedule. Though. Tough schedule, but, you know, they haven't been playing their best basketball. Outside of the Nets' depth of their guard play and the size of their guard play, you know, I think when we talk about now the minutes you have to fill off the bench, TJ McConnell and being able to match up with those big guards, I think that's a real area of concern. I think that was an area of concern going in, but now it's especially true. And, you know, where I went from a real confident Sixers in five, I don't know. Like, I guess we'll end this this way. Let's say Embiid misses two games, then comes back and plays well. Plays like the best player on the floor, even if he's not quite Joel Embiid. What's your prediction? Sixers in seven. And if Embiid doesn't play a game? Nets in six. That's tough, man. That's tough. Uh, that would that would be quite the offseason. We will have a lot to talk about if that turns out to be true. I will say Sixers in six if Embiid comes back after two games. I will say Sixers in seven even if Embiid doesn't play. It's a low degree of confidence on that, though. You know, I think part of that is I'm baking in maybe James Ennis returning. And again, he is being reevaluated on the 15th. It is not a guarantee he will be ready to go after that reevaluation. And again, if you have been following this team, it doesn't seem like everybody is good to go after their first reevaluation. But if he is, I think he will help. And maybe I'm just hoping that we have more playoff games to cover because I would like to cover more playoff games. It's it's so hard. I have not seen enough from the rest of these guys to they to have believe not well without Joel for sure. Yeah, that they'll yeah. pick up the slack. Now it's like we said they weren't they, trying for a while. I understand that. So if you told me we see a completely different Butler in the uh, in the playoffs and hopefully his back is okay and allows him to to play as well as possible, that's again that's a, that's a concern. Could we see like a, a really kind of dominant Jimmy Butler? I could. Yes, I could absolutely see that, and uh, but but I don't know. I I, I think the Nets they, they're deep, and I I just really it's more worry about the the Sixers bench. I just think they'll get destroyed when they're playing no, playing those I, guys against. Like Brooklyn. I said, if they had Ursan Ilyasova and that kind of team, that could maybe make better use of Joel or Ben Simmons' skill sets. I would have a little bit more confident. Right now, I don't know if they can adequately replace Joel Embiid because, hello, there aren't any other Joel Embiid's in the NBA. And also, I don't think they have a team that's built well to maximize Ben Simmons. And that is a tough spot to be in. Let, let me change that. I think it would be, I'll say Sixers and Six if you get the Embiid maybe a little worse than, than he was. I, I I do think that they're, they're legitimately better, but... Whew, man, he makes a big difference, and, and it would be Nets in seven. I will say, uh, okay. if if the Sixers, I, I again, they still have more top end talent. The more I think about it, and but yeah, I, I would not pick them to win. It's tough to win when you're only going four deep. It's tough to win. It's tough. It could be a good four too. It is. It, it is a good four. But th- those guys, whew, the the pressure's on those guys now. Going to need huge, huge performances from from Butler and Harris and Reddick and Simmons. All right. Uh, if this podcast is a little bit short, I apologize. That's in part because we just deleted 45 minutes of pod, but thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Thank you for jumping on 
on short notice and after you thought your night was free to yourself and we will talk to you soon now it's free man <laughs> now it is go take care see you man Sniper's breath, I exhale the yellow smoke a Buddha through righteous steps deep.